Good evening, everyone. Come on in. Hopefully we got some questions this evening. I hope you were able to watch last week. It was great with uh, Dr. Chris Nichols. It was awesome. We'll give a few more moments here to get people to come in. And remember, if you want to ask a question, please put it in the chat. And if not, uh, let's do like we always do. Giddy up, let's go. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining the, today. I, uh, I'm going to do another Q&A session here this time. I feel like it's kind of an important time of the year. I get a lot of phone calls right now. Um, crimping soybeans. There you go, Isaac. We're going to talk about that. Um, but first, I'm going to ask myself what I ask everybody that's on this podcast is what is on your mind right now? And, you know, a couple things are um, the... Um, the, the atrocity that's taking place in Ukraine is, is has to be on everybody's mind. Um, I mean, the farmers uh, there have done the best they can possibly do to get this crop planted. I mean, I can't imagine sweeping a field for mines that are going to blow up uh, to make sure you can go in and, and plant that field or till it or whatever the case may be. And um, I think some of the greatest concern for that farmer today is uh, I've been reading is to have enough, they don't know if they're gonna have enough fuel to harvest this crop. So it's just incredible what's happening to those folks, not only the farmers, but everybody over there, the women, the children, everyone is just getting totally obliterated by uh, President Putin. So it's just, please keep Ukraine in your thoughts. Um, and you know, remember the blue and yellow, their, their flag, blue and yellow, keep that, keep that going strong. And, um, another thing that's on my mind are, are these, these shootings that are taking place. It's just, it's just terrible that, that, that so many of these children have had to be killed for no reason. So please keep all those families in your prayers. Um, please pray that, that we can settle this world down. It seems to be um, brewing a little bit hot right at the moment. So um, maybe we can get things to settle down a little bit. So other than that, that's, um, that's what's been on my mind here lately. And we're heading into a holiday weekend. This is a, this is a big one. It's Memorial Day weekend. Um, thank you everyone, the veterans for uh, protecting our country and, and getting us where we are today. I couldn't thank you enough. All right. Let's, let's get into it. Soybeans. This is the thing I get asked about all the time right now. The last two weeks, my phone rings quite often. Rick, when can I cramp beans? What's it? What do you think? Blah, blah, blah. So let's go through it. Okay. So now I'm going to explain a little bit more. Maybe I haven't explained this enough. Well enough. Okay, when we, when the reason why planting beans into cereal rye at boot stage, that's the growth development of the rye plant, basically it's at, it's pretty much full, almost full head. Um, the reason why this works is because the time of days from that to when it's at anthesis, which is dropping pollen, 
is about 40 days. So that's, that's a timeline that's critical here because then your soybeans will not be beyond V2 and a half growth stage, okay? Because if you get soybeans to that, that, third, that third trifoliate or V3, and we try to roll this, this down, we're gonna shred leaves, break branches, and you're not gonna be happy with the result here, okay? So, and then on the back side of this, the reason why we wait until anthesis is because that's when the lignin is the highest in that plant and that stalk or stem or whatever you wanna call it is extremely vulnerable to be mechanically terminated then. Now remember, at this point, I mean, everything in, in this world has one goal for the most part, and that's to procreate. So at this point, that plant has done everything it's supposed to do. It has put on a seed, it has dropped pollen to fertilize those seeds, and its job is almost done. So at this point in its life, we could roll, roll this down with just about anything, and it's probably going to stay down. Okay, now the question is, how thick is your stand? We rolled rye uh, two days ago that the pollen had dropped, uh, I don't know, three days prior. So five days ago, the pollen was dropped. And the reason why I know this is because we got some winds up to 20, 25 mile an hour, and it was just a yellow fog moving across our fields of this pollen just flying in the air. Okay you know you're at anthesis, but our stands are so thin this year, we rolled 100 acres out of a 300 acre field and parked the roller because you couldn't tell where we'd been. So sometimes we can't get this to always work out the way we want it to. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna let that rye stand. This is how this is kind of how we used to do this. Back in the day when we still used chemistry, we would spray the rye with glyphosate when those beans were at V2, and then we would just, you know, leave with the, the sprayer and never come back. And, and it took weeks for that rye to melt down and then the beans to climb up out of there. So we're basically gonna do that same thing now, except we're not doing the chemistry pass. So this rye has, has, has dropped its pollen. Now here's, this is probably though the, if there is a disadvantage to this, this is probably it right here. By not laying this rye down, you are now pretty much guaranteeing that every seed or every, yeah, every seed in that head is gonna get fertilized and it's gonna be a viable seed. And when you go to harvest that crop this fall, you are going to have viable seeds in those heads, okay? And hey, that's okay. That's okay, but just, just remember that is gonna be there. So what we are doing now is we are separating that rye out of those soybeans after harvest, we're separating it. And then we'll check, we'll do a germ test on it. And from kind of, now we're kind of new at this, but kind of from what we're seeing getting started here last couple of years, if that head does not touch the ground, 
the the germ is going to be pretty good. I know that rye matured in July and it had to stand out there the rest of the whole summer and into fall. I get that. But germ test it, see if it's viable. If it is, separate it out, put it in your bin and use it for yourself this fall. Or if you've got a cattleman or a dairy or somebody that can feed that, they will be most most places will be more than happy to substitute that for their expensive corn and alfalfa they're buying right now. So you always have options on the table if, if you just get creative about it. So we've got, when we started this, I mean, this spring has just been, it's just been crazy. Um, I, 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 made a, I made a faux pas this year. I did something I stressed not to do and I did it. I planted um, a field of beans on April 24th. I wasn't patient enough. The ground conditions were fine. The, the, the seed would have came up on its own without any rain event from Mother Nature. It was that good. It crumbled all the way down. What I did wrong here was I planted the beans when the ground was warming up. Yes, that was the correct thing to do. I always say wait for it to warm up. But what was happening was in four days after we planted, there was a, a rain event coming and the temperatures were going to drop into the 40s. So what happened here was that soybean got faked out. It got put into a warm enough uh, environment to germinate and start to grow. And then four days later, the cold rains came and drove that rain down into where that seed was the seed got confused and it said i'm not going up anymore because it's cold up there i've got to turn and head down to get to where it's warmer and those darn beans did corkscrews in the ground so shame on me for not waiting but i thought you know we've got to try we tried one field we wouldn't have known if we hadn't tried it wasn't the end of the world um but that I jumped the gun and and I probably shouldn't have done that. But it was that timing event. It was from it was from when the seed got put in. It was warm enough to when it warmed up. It wasn't warm enough or when the rain came, it got too cold. So uh, shame on me for that. So I always preach to be patient and I broke my own rules. So I apologize. Uh, Roger Greeson. Hey, Rick, we had eight tents over here. Looks like you missed most of the rain. Is that causing you problems? No, um, we did. We have missed almost all of this rain. It has come. It has cycled from the south and it's come straight up north northerly. And for some reason, it's either shifted to the east of us or shifted off to the west of us. And for the most part, we have had probably two tents on the farm, but hey, we were, we're in great shape. I, I was fairly patient on waiting um, until the ground conditions were fit. Again, I did have one field that I, I, I started in and I got out. I don't know how many times I got out and I said, you know, it's just too wet to be in here. Um, but I knew there was rain coming, so I went ahead and finished that field. That bit me too. So we, we have replanted some beans this year because of Rick's, it's Rick's fault. Rick wasn't patient enough. You know, I always say, 
you've got to wait until you might you know until you can close that seed slot properly my definition of a of being fit is that the ground will crumble from where your seed is being placed all the way to the surface in your fingers and you don't need a weather event from mother nature to get them up and i broke that rule on a field and i paid for it so my lack of patience this spring i don't know why i was so impatient on these two fields but i was and we got to replant them so it's not the end of the world but i don't need any more practice so um have i explained the soybean situation let, let, let me go keep coming with questions because we need that's what this is supposed to be q a but let me go a little bit further now with the soybeans this year when we came out of this winter and we had the kind of spring that i saw being set up wet and cool that's not good for our cereal rye we didn't tiller it didn't put on the biomass and it just did not look like it was going to perform like it should so that's kind of why i got bit on these two early fields because i made the opinion or i made the assessment and i i i i came up with my opinion that look the cover crop in these fields is not going to be very good so we've got to get beans out there now so that we can get the beans growing and get this canopy started and let the cash crop of the beans be our canopy for the weeds that the cereal rye is not going to be okay so that's why i jumped the gun on those two fields and we drilled those two fields with our john deere air seeder seven and a half inch spacing because again i wanted as much density as possible okay so okay got a question from paul any peas yes paul i'll come to your question in just a moment okay so when this is like april 20th i've got this th this process you know we've got to get started on a couple fields when they're fit well that was april 24th and then a four-day delay and again on april 28th okay so as i'm out here assessing the fields which you've got to do this every single day if not every other day you've got to look at your fields and see how they're progressing i mean i drive a lot of miles checking fields but the plans change all the time okay so what the plan was going into spring now since mother nature threw us a, a big old curveball was we're going to plant some fields early in the spring and we're going to drill them because we need the density we drilled at about 235,000 uh, population uh, we wanted density then about the middle of planting we planted beans at what i would call boot stage with the anticipation of rolling that rye down never happened the rye still did not tiller and fill in like it should so we're just going to leave it stand i don't think it's going to hurt anything and then the third way we were going to do beans this year was to do the the like we did uh two days ago we had 600 acres that the fields would not dry out we we are are starting to build this armor on the soil it it's it's two inches thick it's dead 
it's thatch, it's mulch, it's it's the it's the the foxtail we had last year, it's the weeds, it's the the cash crop residue, it's all of this combined together to create this armor and when you get this kind of an armor, your fields don't dry out very quickly. So we had 600 acres that by the way is pattern tiled and we still couldn't get them planted until just 2 days ago. Well, those two fields became what I thought was going to be we're going to roll the rye first because it's already an anthesis and then we're going to plant beans right behind the roller. That's what I was talking about earlier in this in this podcast. It did not lay down. There's not enough biomass there. There's not enough density. There's not enough of anything. So we just planted the beans into the rye and we're just going to let it go. So those are the three strategies that we, we kind of came up with. And I'll be honest with you guys, when we were going to go into this spring, I had notions of, of planting every acre of soybeans with the corn planter on 20 inch row spacing. We wound up planting about 1200 acres with the drip, with the air seeder on seven and a half inch spacing. So a lot of things change just like they do every year, but I've never seen the beans I changed so much as we did this year. Um, Paul asked about peas. Well, Paul, we did not put any peas out for harvest, so to speak. What we did was we planted peas um, for the fuel for, for some of our corn. We've got corn planted in early May into alfalfa. Um, we rolled that down. That did not work either. Nothing's worked very well this spring. So then we came back in with a flail chopper uh, two days ago and we mowed off the alfalfa. I don't like to do that because I always say, what's alfalfa do when you mow it off? It wants to grow back. But our corn was absolutely suffocating. It was at our corn's at V3 growth stage and it's elongating and trying to get out and I, I said, no, we've got to clip this alfalfa off. So we took the flail chopper out, set it down right over the corn, and we flail chopped about 200 acres of alfalfa. Now, back to your pea question, though. We just did another 200 acres of corn. We just finished about two hours ago on the last field. Uh, we're planting peas at about 120 pounds to the acre and we're planting them about an inch to an inch and a quarter deep and we planted corn the same day so the peas planted first and then the corn's planted about two and a quarter to two and a half inches deep and the, the goal here i didn't want to do it this way i wanted to plant the corn first and then come back in about three days and plant the peas but i just didn't like the field conditions i was afraid we were going to compact where that corn needs to come out too bad so we planted the peas right in front of the planter and the planter was chasing me all day today, planting corn into that, those peas. So the intention here is to have the corn get out of the ground first and get ahead of the peas and take off and start growing. And then as those peas are fixing nitrogen, we're hoping that it will release in time to feed that corn because remember, I wanted to do this last fall, and we did do this, but the peas did not survive, and it's not the peas' fault. 
it was the winter we had. If the peas would have survived the winter, <clears throat> on being that today's Memorial Day weekend, those peas would be in full bloom. Matter of fact, they'd already have pods on them by now. So they would be done fixing all the nitrogen that they would have done if our experiment would have worked over the winter, and it didn't. So now we're planting the peas now, which is a little risky to help the corn, but I'm hoping that the corn will get up and stay above the peas. And I don't think we're gonna do anything to terminate the peas. I think we're gonna let the peas go. And then when the corn canopies, the corn will crush those peas. And by then I'm hoping the peas are bloom and now they're ready to release all that nitrogen that they fixed. So yes, Paul, we did plant peas, but not for the sake of harvesting peas. They're planted for more of a fuel source. Let's see what else we've got here for questions. Um, okay, Joe, will the Balanza clover continue to grow after it blooms or is it done? Good question. It's just about done, Joe. So what we try to do, and I'm assuming you're talking about some kind, I don't know what your termination method is, but what we're trying to do is when that white bloom is starting to get the brown uh, dead around the perimeter, that's when you can mechanically terminate and you can just about guarantee that it won't be coming back because it has reached maturity at that point. Again, it's about like that rye uh, at anthesis. That, that clover plant is at, has reached anthesis, it's fertilized its, its seeds, and it's ready to be terminated. Now, if you were going to use chemistry at this point, it would be toast in two or three days. You could, you could walk across the field and it would crunch. If you're going to use a roller crimper or even a Romo, and by the way, Isaac Greeson is on here this evening. Isaac built our Romo, a wonderful young man over around the Kokomo, Indiana area. And at that point, you could mow or, or romo that that clover which we've done that that way and i really like that because see it sizes that clover up into pieces now and it's going to break down very quickly and really start to release that fuel for the corn um now the corn guys and gals this this is hard this is very very hard our corn that we have put into our alfalfa I'm, I'm telling you, it's as good as any neighbor's corn that's planted in a tilled field. You just can't see it because it's down in this alfalfa. Now we are hurting the physiological structure of this corn. There's no doubt about it. So is that going to affect yield? Probably. I would probably say yes, that's going to affect yield. So remember, we're not out here farming this way to be the yield winners of the county. That's not what we're doing. We're, matter of fact, we'll probably be the yield losers of the county. We're out here to do this to maximize the ROI and build soil health and build human health. I mean, you know, I, I think back to the history of our family and there's, there's just a lot of sickness in our family, a lot of cancer. Um, I've got diabetes, my brothers have diabetes. Uh, there's just a lot of, of health issues, I think, concern with the way and the type of 
job that we do. And, and I'm just not, I'm not going to, I've got beautiful children and I've got beautiful son-in-laws and I've got beautiful grandchildren now. And, and I'm not going to jeopardize that, those two generations to, to that chemistry and, and all of those synthetic fertilizers. I'm just not doing it. So, you know, I, I, I take a lot of heat online for how our stuff looks and sometimes it doesn't look very good and i admit it doesn't but that's okay it's okay not every field is going to be picture perfect and plus they're always looking for somebody to dog on and it's always us is who they're dogging on the people who are doing it differently so don't get drugged down by that you've gotta you gotta hang in there i know it's hard but um it's, you know, I've always said that people who are creating the change are the ones who are being talked about. So if you're being talked about at the coffee shop, be honored that, that they at least are paying attention to what you're doing. So, you know, keep up the good work. Sorry, I got a little off, off track there. Uh, Peter, I planted a multi-mix between my strips late August with emphasis on hairy vetch and Austrian winter peas for nitrogen production. I re- uh stripped this spring and i and i i lost it uh and i banned sprayed the herbicide at planting i love that idea cover crop will be terminated when flowering with a dawn in roll i love your whole i love the love everything how can i determine how much nitrogen the peas and vetch are supplying to my corn crop first of all peter if you're going to do chemistry, and if you don't mind, Peter, would you please respond back with what kind of chemistry you're using? Because I've got an idea for you, because this is exactly uh, what I think we could, we're going to be thinking about doing in the future here uh, with these cover crops. Uh, I want to read this again. I planted a multi-mix between my strips late August. So I assume you're strip tilling, and it must have been into a, probably a cereal grain that you did not uh, put a double crop on. You planted a cocktail into it and then you, you strip-tailed. I'm making assumptions here, so please correct me if I'm wrong. And then uh, you're, you're putting hairy vetch and winter peas in the middles where your cash crop is not going to be. And then you band sprayed herbicide, again, I'm assuming on that, that, that tilled strip of six or seven inches and now you've planted your corn, I'm assuming, yeah, corn crop. Then you're gonna enroll, roll the vetch and the peas. I absolutely love that idea. I wanna talk about this, except I wanna take the tillage part of the equation out, okay? So let me see here, Peter, did you respond back? Not yet, okay. And Lauren, I don't know if you're on here this evening, but Lauren Steinlogge from, from uh, uh, northeastern Iowa has done done similar things to what we're going to talk about here. Uh, there's a product for the organic folks called Home Plate, and there's another one coming next year that's going to be called um, Harp Bio. Okay, the 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 Home Plate is a fatty acid, so basically what's happening here is you have to run high rates, and this is expensive, man. This is really expensive, like 120 bucks an acre. Expensive. But what's happening is this fatty acid mix is coating every plant 
that's out there that you spray with a film so that now it can no longer photosynthesize. So it's a non-selective, uh, I, don't, I don't want to call it herbicide, but it's a non-selective spray that will not kill anything. It is not systemic, okay? All this is doing is, is burning off the above ground material and then it starts over and regrows. Okay, so think about what we're doing now with this alfalfa. If we were to build a sprayer like Peter's talking about, and, and Lauren's done this and he use, uses hoods also, hooded sprayers, to get the middles knocked out. But let's just stay with the strip sprayer. So get a sprayer about eight inches wide and spray this, this home plate or, or this heart bio. Now heart bio is different. I'll talk about it, but it's different. So let's stay on home plate. So you plant your corn into a, whatever your beautiful vetch or your balanza clover, whatever you got going on out there. Build you a bar, put a sprayer on that's spraying only eight or nine inch wide bands. So now your cost per acre is dropped dramatically. It's probably, I don't know the math here, but it's more than half, cut in half. So here's what I would do. I would go out and I would plant my corn and then I would wait five or six days and then go out with this sprayer and band right over the top of where that corn's gonna come out of the ground. Because what you wanna do is maximize the amount of effect this home plate does for you. So then the theory here is, as you've sprayed within the next two days, the corn's gonna come out and that what you sprayed is gonna be melting down because I, I believe this works very quickly and then your corn can get up and go, and then here comes the regrowth behind it, following with the corn, then come with the Dawn in-row in roller and roll those middles down. And Peter, I'm talking about doing the exact same thing except taking that tillage out of the equation. I think that could become a very viable solution. Uh, Peter did reply, I band sprayed Roundup, Atrazine, Dual, and Callisto. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I, I see where you're thinking here. If you ever want to get to that day when you want to shift out of a chemistry program and into an organic program, think about what we just talked about here. Now, let's go to Heart Bio. And I, again, I don't know a lot about either of these two products, but Heart Bio is a product that is being derived from the mint plant. Mint, M-I-N-T, mint. So they're taking the oil, they figured out there's some protein or there's something in that oil they can extract out. They've created this, again, I don't wanna call it a herbicide, but this product is systemic and this is going to kill everything it touches. It's gonna to be just like Roundup, except it's being derived from something in nature. So this is supposed to be out next year. I don't know a lot about it. Again, it could be a big game changer. I mean, think about also when we go out and we plant corn into alfalfa. Again, this is extremely risky. We're planting a warm season grass of corn into a established legume perennial 
of alfalfa. But what if you planted that corn and then five days later played, uh, sprayed heart bio on it and just crushed everything that was out there and then here comes your corn right out of the ground, ready to go. See, these are things that are coming that are gonna change a lot of the way we're farming. And I, I think what little bit I've read about this heart bio, um, I hope we'll be able to get our hands on it because all of the big chemical companies want it because it fills in all their holes now. Um, it fills in all their holes now that they've created. Like with glyphosate, it doesn't kill uh, a lot of weeds anymore. But now if you tank mix it with heart bio or home plate, I don't know if you can tank mix with home plate, uh, game over. All of a sudden, uh, all that old chemistry is back back to the forefront and away we go. So, um, and, I, and Lauren is online and I got a text from Lauren. Um, Lauren is also, yeah, there's the, there's the, um, there's this uh, light, there's this light source now. There's this guy, I don't remember where he's from. Uh, Lauren, is it, is it a global, global neighbor? Is that the, is that the gentleman? Um, he has figured out what light, what colors of light you need to, to, to shine down on the, on that growing crop. And he's in Columbus, Ohio. And, and that will kill that, that species where that light hits. This is the same gentleman who's putting this same light bar in the back of your combine and it kills the weed seed before it gets chucked out the back of your combine and spread all over your field. So his name's John Jackson, J-O-N Jackson. Thank you, Lauren, appreciate that. Um, but man, so the, the technology that's coming is unbelievable. So now if we could go out with light and, and target certain areas of the field, it's just gonna change everything. You know, I hope, you know, one of the, there's many reasons why I went organic. The number one reason was human health. Number two reason was barrier of entry. It's very difficult to get into this market because it takes three years to get certified and it's living hell getting there. And, and on top of that, we're trying to do this with no tillage. So it's almost impossible. But now if they keep coming with wonderful technology like this, I'm afraid there might be more and more people then shift over to the organic world to take advantage of the higher price. And then our market gets diluted down and our prices aren't as good as they were. I don't know if that is gonna happen, but it is a possibility as more and more of this technology keeps coming. But man, think of the cool, there's so many smart people out there. Light, he's, I think it's blue light is one of them and I don't remember the other ones, but to go out there and, and terminate a field with light, how cool is that? Um, I, I've got a, uh, I'm sorry, I can't read all the names. Uh, I hope it's Sebastian, I hope that's correct. Did you try winter canola in mix or alone like rye for the early cover crop crimping opportunity and no-till some cash crops on it? Okay, I, I no longer can use canola because I cannot terminate uh, canola 
uh, with mechanically with uh, the roller crimper or with the flail chopper because it will just it, if the flail chopper it'll regrow and the uh, it just laughs at the roller crimper that stalk or stem is so aggressive I can't take it out so I have to be very careful uh, someone the other day mentioned to me that they they listened in on the Chris Nichols podcast and I'm, I'm folks that was a good one it went for two and a half hours and Rachel will have that up in a couple weeks on uh, that you can view back but toward the end of that podcast I asked Dr. Nichols about uh, foxtail that we're experiencing on the farm and she 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 kind of alluded to the fact that it's probably not um you know something within the soil that's out of balance she thought it was more of a timing effect we need to get different crops planted at different times to affect when the when the grass is coming and then you need a crop that will that will really crush it and put it weak to its knees which is kind of what i always think cereal rye does to broadleaf weeds but anyway i had a comment from somebody online i don't remember who now but they suggested our calcium's out of balance and that's why we're having foxtail issues. Well, I'm not quite so sure that's the case because the amount of calcium, we just got Haney test back and our calcium is sky high. Now, is it all available to the plant? I, that I can't quite answer perfectly, but we do have an abundance of calcium in our profile. And, and I'll tell you what, folks, I've been mentioning this for two years now, and and I had Mitchell Hora come over from Continuum Ag and pull some samples for us, and our pH is still rising. We are we have not applied anything to our fields. Uh, we haven't applied gypsum or lime, nothing, in eight or nine years, and our pH is up to seven point three and seven point four now. It's still climbing. So I don't think we've got a calcium problem. Um, we might have other problems, but you know, we've got to get as much growing as we can to suppress these weeds. And that's gonna be a problem for us here this summer is we don't have the biomass to hold this, this foxtail back, we don't. So I don't know what we're going to be heading into. I imagine we're going to have a lot of ugly fields this year. I, I'm just, I'm preparing myself for that. And it's okay. It's part of the, it's part of the way we do things. Is everyone going to talk about us? Yeah, that's okay. It's all right. Uh, will we, will we survive it? Yep, we'll survive. We'll have fields that'll be fine. And again, it's at the end of the day, it's all about the average. Um, so now, and, and, and the other thing too, the gentleman that I'm getting back to, to, I hope it's Sebastian, I'm getting back to your question about the canola. Um, the gentleman online that suggested we get some chicory out there. Yeah, I, I totally agree. We need to get deep rooted stuff. But again, I can't use that because it's a perennial. If you're in a chemical program, by all means, throw the kitchen sink at it. I've got two horrific fields of chicory right now that I put chicory on four years ago and I can't stop it. 
it's gone from two pounds of an acre that I applied four years ago to solid stands now. So we have to be careful on what species we're going to go after. And the gentleman's probably 100% correct. Chicory would help solve some of the problem, but I just can't use it. So always remember uh, what your exit plan is at the end of the day. Um, okay, Peter replied back with some more info here. The, the idea is to do this without chemistry someday. Would a weed zapper or steam weeder burn off the band over the corn row instead of the herbicide? Um, great question. It depends, Peter, on how thick that is because that zapper, if you can actually kill the tractor, because if you get into a bad enough area of weeds, now that's, bar in mind, that's a 30-foot bar of continuous contact. Okay, you're talking about making a bar up of like eight-inch sections. I agree. I don't think it would work because I think I've had conversations with people that have tried that in the past and it's oh it's overloading their generator and they're going to burn up their their weed zapper. So I don't, it's a great idea but I don't think it's going to work, especially if it is a beautiful uh, perennial for example. And you know, I think I think this T-banding idea or maybe even Peter your your strip till I think now you move out to like 60 inch corn and and you think about um, letting all that go up the middle there and then figure out a way to row mow it or uh, I mean Lauren and and Bob Recker are working together on 60 inch corn and they go in with a lawn uh, a lawnmower you'd mow your yard with and they're mowing those middles down I think Lauren might be on year four now of basically an organic field that he's not applied any inputs to and they're starting to graze sheep out on those 60 inch rows so um there's all kinds of cool things we can do all kinds of cool stuff um roger grecian have you considered going to wider rows yeah i i i've i don't know roger i i'm thinking we need to go narrower we're on 20s right now and with the way we're trying to do this with annual uh, species like uh, Blonza clover or uh, actually Lauren's on year five. Sorry about that. Thank you for correcting me, Lauren. Um, you know, thinking about the vetch and the clover and all that. Um, I, we, need, we need as much biomass as we can get for weed suppression and then we need the canopy of the cash crop to do the rest of the job. I still am a believer of narrow rows. I still think that's where I want to be. Now, it depends on your context and what your, your, what your end game here is. If you are a grazer and you are trying to get animals on some fresh, nice green growing uh, forages before it gets cold and freezes off, then by all means plant 60 inch corn, harvest your corn and get the cattle in there the, the, day you, the same day you pull the combine out. Yes, totally agree. If you're not grazing livestock 
and you're trying to figure out a way to raise these crops to scale, again, that's the scale. I mean, I don't know if I could expect to cross 2,500 acres of corn with a John Deere 60 inch mower deck up 60 inch corn. So that's what we, we got to think about. We got to see how are we going to do this that fits your farm. If you're farming 300 acres of corn, then you can do a lot of these other things we're talking about. But when you're farming 2,500 acres of corn organically with no tillage and it's all cover crop, you, I tend to look at things a little bit differently. Like for example, I think interseeding up V3 or V4 corn is a tremendous idea. I think it should be done on every acre. I can't, I can't get across all those acres. So what I'm going to do is we're going to go out and we're going to broadcast over the top some uh, radish, some maybe a few pounds of oats, some uh, clover, and some vetch right over the top, maybe before the corn even comes out of the ground if we get the right kind of weather. Again, it's on the top. It's going to take a rain event probably to get it to germinate. Your corn's going to come out of the ground. It's going to take off. And then at about V3 or V4, that that you broadcast over the top is going to germinate and start to grow. And it'll be just like you went out there with an interseeder and seeded uh, with a little drill, like like Lauren, like the duo, the duo uh, row unit that, that, that Dawn has. It's going to look just like that. So that's how I try to look at this stuff is how can we get across acres to scale? And, you know, the other thing I would add into that mix, and I always forget about this guy, is buckwheat. At that time of year, you're not going to need to worry about a freeze event or a frost or anything to, 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 to nick that buckwheat off because it's very fragile. But now we're talking uh, after Mother's Day, like right now, and go out there and put on two or three or four pounds of buckwheat and just let it go soybeans corn i don't care uh it's what we should be doing on every field is trying to figure out how to get something else growing with those cash crops um yeah did uh, roger says just for corn i agree with narrow roads for beans yeah i i think i've explained what i would be doing on that um i do like the wide rows though i i do i really do i think We've still got about 450 acres of corn to plant. And I think I might experiment with some 40 inch corn because we're on 20, so 40s would be easy. And then I might do a pass or two of 60s. But, but even with that being said, I, I don't know how I'm going to control the weeds. I, I don't know, or control, I can't say control because that's too strong a word. I don't know how I'm going to suppress weeds up a 40 inch row. So um, I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't have the equipment to handle wide row right now. And I, I'm always looking at ways to not bank on in row equipment. Okay. Especially tilling. I, I, you know, we've tilled a couple of fields this year and I, I absolutely hated it. I mean, one of the fields, was was tiled last fall and it was an absolute mess because they tiled it when it was too wet so we kind of were forced into tilling that field another field we tilled because the cover crop was pretty much zero i mean zero 
So here we are. Uh, we've got no cover crop. I went in. We shallow tilled inch and a half max is all the deeper we went. We didn't take out hardly any weed. We didn't take out anything at an inch and a half. And we went ahead and planted the beans into that. I've not been back to those fields. It's been about a week. I'm sure they're a, a weedy mess and you probably can't even see the soybeans. But I didn't know what else we were gonna do. We have no other, we have no other means. So what I was hoping was that that light tillage was gonna take out all of the smaller, like the foxtail that had already started to grow, the little water hemps that started to grow. And I was hoping to take that flush out, get the beans, and by the way, we drilled them and get them going so that we can then start to canopy and then come in with the weed zapper and try to get 25 or 30 bushel beans. I'm okay with that. If we could get 30 bushel beans, folks, I've got, I've got beans contracted right now for $38. So let's just for easy math, move that up to 40. So I can do this math in my head, 40 times 30 bushel beans is $1,200 an acre with about $300 an acre of expense. It's why we don't need to bust the bins with yield. So people might drive by and look at that and look at that as a failure when I look at it as a success because going into what we started with, we had nothing. We had no cover crop growing. It, it didn't survive the winter. It, the field was pretty much solid dandelions. So you've got to do something. So we tilled it an inch to an inch and a half deep and then drilled beans. So it's not what I want to do, but we did it on just a couple hundred acres. So um, any other, okay, Rick, what's your bean pop? Okay, um, Roger, what we're doing, uh, and again, this varies from year to year. Okay, we don't have the biomass that we need to suppress weeds. So I told the guys to move the population up on everything. So let me give it to you the way we usually do it and what we did this year. On the 20 inch corn planter that we plant beans with, 20 inch rows, we usually plant at 140,000. We moved it up to 155,000. On the drill, we would usually be somewhere around that 210,000 mark on seven and a half inch spacing. We moved it up to 235 to 240 uh, plants per acre. That is a bunch of beans. We, we, we almost, I think we more than doubled our original soybean order because of the high populations that we put on but this is our only line of defense now. We don't have anything else. This is it. So now we've got to get the beans up and get them going. And I'll tell you what, though, our beans look phenomenal. We, the first beans we planted were at first trifoliate heading towards second trifoliate. They're about six, seven inches tall. They just look wonderful. The rye isn't even, it's not even up to my shoulders. That's how short it is. So we're just gonna let it go. And um, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're just gonna keep an eye on it. I'm sure we're gonna be in there with the weed zapper. I'm sure it's, 
it's probably going to cover almost every acre this year. So it's going to have a busy summer. But that's what we're faced with. I mean, when we don't have a, a easy button of chemistry to push, these are the types of things you've got to you've got to put up with this. This is what if you're going to go down this road with no tillage, these are the hurdles you're going to have to cross at some time. Okay, anything anybody else got another question out there. There's got to be more questions. Anything anybody putting on manure. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of manure, I hope, starting in a couple of days. That's why we're, we've got about 450 acres of corn to go. I am trying some different things this year. Um, we're going to put some hog manure on, and then we're going to wait maybe two days and then go in and plant. No-till right over that. Um, it's got right now, those fields have... 50 pounds of cereal rye on them and <laughs> I'll tell you let's, let's just talk about that for a minute I think I think I've pushed it too hard too far here um, the fields that I knew were going to go to corn this spring and it was too late to get a legume package planted we drilled 50 pounds of cereal rye last fall, 50. And that rye is the best rye on the farm. And pretty much the rest of the farm, we drilled at 135 to 150 pounds. I think we're simply putting on too much now. I think more is bad. So this fall, I'm gonna fall back to probably 100 pounds. 90 to 100 pounds of cereal rye and see if we can't get back into finding that sweet spot so that the stuff will tiller and really put on the biomass so wouldn't you know it the the rye that we need for our beans isn't there and the rye that we don't want that thick for our corn is there how about that that's just the way it goes but that's okay Again, we're going to put the poop on there. The poop will help the process of, of getting that carbon to nitrogen ratio back in queue, letting that nitrogen release out of that plant. And our corn, I don't think our corn should see any suffering at all uh, due to the, the, the organic manure we're going to put out there. Now, we can't do this on every acre because we don't have that much of our farm that touches drag lines. So it is, we can do this on a few acres. Uh, again, we need to see that how this works, experiment with it, um, and see how we get along. Uh, I've, I've always said, too, that if you're going to apply manure to try to back off the rates that you're, gonna, that you're putting on, and that's what we're going to do, we're going to back off a little bit because I think it's a pretty big shock to the system, especially dairy manure. I mean, I was so young and naive when we first started that. We were putting on 20,000 gallons a year, 20,000 at one time, 20,000 gallons at one time. And I think it was absolutely crushing our microbes. Just it's too much. It's too much shock to them. So again, go back to your cereal grains. Do not double crop soybeans and 
put your a second pass of manure at a lighter rate on following that cereal crop, then come in and plant a massive cocktail into that manure. And you will be surprised at what you have next spring and then get ready and hang on for some, some hellacious corn coming out of that type of program. So just gotta remember that we have to stop looking at, at single year numbers and we look at the average across four or five years. Yeah, I mean, except for here recently, uh, wheat hasn't been very profitable, but of course right now wheat has just been on fire, but um, uh, it's probably profitable now at these levels, but for the most part, it's probably not but you can't look at that as a loser. You're looking at that as an opportunity to take advantage of those summer months and put a summer warm season mix out there. I mean, how often in Indiana, Illinois, Iowa, Ohio, do we get to plant sunflowers, sun hemp, cow peas, sorghum Sudan, forage sorghum, all of these things how often do we get to plant them oats and, and take advantage of that warm growing season? Not very often. Only if you're following a cereal grain crop or if you're doing a regen year. So you have to take advantage of those opportunities. Uh, Jeremy, hello, Rick. What are realistic expectations on corn yield in your mode alfalfa field? Good. That's an excellent question. I love the way you said realistic expectations because that's what this boils down to. Would I love to raise 200 bushel corn? Yeah, I would. Are our fields good enough with fertility to do 200 bushel corn? Yes, they are. Are we gonna do that in this alfalfa program? No, we're probably not. So my realistic yield expectation of corn being planted into alfalfa is 145 to 165. Now again, that may not seem like big enough numbers for a lot of people that are gonna say, that is all you expect to get is 145 bushel corn. Well, get your calculator out and let's just make, we don't need a, need a calculator. Let's just assume we can sell corn for $10 a bushel at 145, that's $1,450 an acre with about three or $400 of expense, the, the ROI at the end of the day is pretty darn good. So do I worry about yield? Yeah, I kind of worry about yield. Is yield important to me? No, yield is not important to me. Yield is gonna be there. If we do everything else correctly, yield will be there. And once you're in this organic environment, you're going to get rewarded for what efforts you're doing. And I think there's another scale coming. I think we're gonna get rewarded on, on raising things regeneratively. I think that is coming. And I think your, your end users, your Walmarts, your PepsiCo's, all these people are gonna be looking for growers to grow crops certain ways, and we're gonna get a premium for growing those crops. That's coming. And maybe it's already happening now in locations that I'm unaware of. But that's, that's what we've gotta keep striving toward. Um, Paul Thomas, how are you applying hog manure? They are going to drag line it, Paul. So that's why I'm gonna wait 
and plant the corn afterwards. I still think we could plant corn and, and drag line if it was V1, V2, but uh, you got to get the weather right. Everything's got to go just perfect on you or you're, or you're going to be knocking some corn down. So they're going to drag line it. Um, typically, this particular barn puts on um, between five and 7,000 gallons an acre is what they told me they've done to their neighboring fields. We're going to shoot for uh, 3,500 to 4,500. So we're going to try to come in a little bit lower than normal. Um, and, and I hope that these fields will kind of be the backstop to our, our, our corn for the fall because we've got corn, uh, a third of our crop, uh, well, more, a little more than a third of our corn is planted in alfalfa. Um, about a fourth of our corn is going to be planted into the peas, and then the rest is going to be um, with the manure. So, um, you know, the alfalfa is risky. We've done it before. It does work. Um, we're trying to do this with, with zero to, to as little tillage as possible. I don't know yet about the pea thing because with those two being planted at the same time, I don't know if the peas are going to be able to fix enough nitrogen to help the corn. I, I don't know. It would have been way better if we were planting corn into peas that are blooming. I would be so much more happy if that's what we were doing, but we're not. And it's the way it goes. So uh, we'll make the best of it. And, um, you know, we got a lot of experiments going on, so we'll have a lot of, of stuff to share this winter and, and hope some's going to work and, and you know some's not. So it's the way it is. But you can't, you can't always give up on something that didn't work this year because the winter has a lot to do with it. The spring has a lot to do with it. So I usually give something two or three tries. And if it still hasn't done anything after three tries, then, then it's probably not going to work. So that's kind of how we look at it. Um, anything else? Any, anything else anybody wants to talk about here? I've rambled on for about an hour. Um, let's see here. I'm trying to think what else I wanted to talk about this evening. Um, just try to be as patient as we can. I know, I, I don't know who, I never know who's listening. Um, you know, Minnesota, North Dakota, Southern Canada. Oh my gosh, you folks are just getting hammered up there with moisture. It seems like it's raining every day up there. So please keep your heads up and hang in there. Uh, I know you've got tough decisions to make. I think May 25th was your deadline for a full multiparal insurance on corn. And then I'm not sure what your date is for um, prevent plant. I'm not sure what it would be up there. It's probably in, in June, I'm guessing. I don't know. Um, but, you know, a lot of tough decisions. But if anything, this year, uh, prevent plant has got to be an, a, a viable option because I would imagine with the price that the, that the, the commodities have risen to, uh, against your APHs that you have, you're probably in that neighborhood of $500 an acre just to get a prevent plant. So if you were to do that, please don't let those fields lay fallow 
please get a cover crop growing something. If you haven't ever tried cover crops, now's the time to do it. Take a prevent plant payment. That, come, that check comes in the mail. Uh, you don't have to uh, pay, or you've probably already paid for a lot of your inputs. Keep them till next year, because uh, who knows if we'll have any availability on anything next year. Who knows? It all depends on, on this, uh, the Russian war with Ukraine, and if Russia does take Ukraine, and are they going to turn north and march through Poland to get to the Baltics? I, I don't know. I'm assuming that's what his end game. Well, I think his end game is that, and then I also think his end game is to crush the U.S. dollar, and to have the U.S. dollar to no longer be the currency of trade around the world. He wants a different currency to be to be that currency, and that's what he's going to do, in my opinion. And because look at what he's already done, <laughs> folks. This man is very, very smart. He has requested and demanded that everything be paid in rubles. Brilliant. And he holds the cards here because do you think Germany who needs, who needs uh, natural gas and, and uh, uh, crude oil to survive? You think they're gonna back or you think they're gonna stand up to him? Hell no. They've already made their payment in rubles. What's the ruble done? The ruble now is higher compared to the U.S. dollar than it was when he invaded Ukraine. This, this man is no dummy, and he is not a psychotic that people think he is. He has a plan, and I think that plan is to take back what he thinks is rightfully his from way back in the original um, days of, uh, of uh, uh, CCCP, uh, USSR, and he wants the Baltics back, and he wants Ukraine back, and he wants to crush the dollar. That's my opinion. That's just me thinking here, but um, anyway, um, keep, keep, hang in there, and if you do go prevent plant, please put some cover crops on, especially if you haven't tried anything. Hey, give people a call. Get, we got plenty of people out there that are willing to help uh pick up the phone uh, text us to give us a tweet something we'll be more than happy to help someone get started with something to help get their toes wet uh because uh, you know hey again rick doesn't have all the answers here but um i'm telling you this this um group that's in washington right now they truly do want to do something about climate change. They truly want to do something about regenerative agriculture. I mean, it's coming. They are trying to figure out programs that will fit the, the masses. That's the problem. We've got all of these farmers out there uh, that, that don't understand what we're doing and they've got to come up with programs that fit everybody. And that's hard. It's very difficult, but they are working on it. They have meetings about this every day, and this is going to happen sometime in the near future. Is it one, two, three years? I don't know, but I think for sure by 10, there'll be a lot more cover crops being planted and a lot more no-till and a lot less dependency on synthetic inputs. So, 
those are those are my thoughts. I kind of got off a little bit. Uh, Ed, Ed Bourgeois, are you trying anything different with grazing? No, not really this year, Ed. Matter of fact, we lightened up our, our cattle herd a little bit. Um, we're 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 not that's not where we're at right now we've got we do have a retail meat market we've got enough live animals to to supply that market right now and unless something crazy happens and when our our subscriptions go through the roof here so but for right now we have enough so no i'm not trying anything with grazing i still think grazing is very important um i'm just not at the right place right now this spring has just been very, very tough, and I've been trying to figure out what crops we're going to plant where and what tool we were going to use and what, what populations to plant. And I'll be honest with you, I just simply uh, have got the cattle on the back burner right now. Uh, we'll get that fired back up, but for right now, we don't have much, if any, rotational grazing going on. They're actually on our permanent pastures right now. That's not what I want, but um, but that's where we are. Sometimes you have to do what you have to do. So, appreciate the question. Um, if that's all there is, I'm probably gonna let this go because I'm kind of tired. We've been hammering down here for a week or 10 days and I, it's kind of catching up with this old man. Um, thank you so much for everyone coming on. Um, let's see, Jeremy, what are you doing with AEA at this point? Do you have a consultant uh, SAP testing? Um, we are doing a little bit with John Camp. Uh, Jason uh, Stoll is who we're working with there. I think he's in Columbus, Indiana, I believe. Um, yes, we will be doing some SAP analysis soon. I'm kind of curious to see how this is going to work. Um, I've read a lot about it. I've not really talked to anyone that's that's done it. So um, I'm kind of excited about what we're going to find because, you know, it, it all goes back again to that same old thing. You can have the absolute best soil test scores in the world. But if that element or that mineral or, or whatever it is, is not available or in a form that is available for your plants it's not doing you any good that's why that gentleman the other day suggested i plant some chicory get some deep totally agree with him i can't i won't because i'm i'm struggling with getting rid of it now but if you are in a chemistry program please throw out perennials, put them in your cocktails, perennials, annuals, some warm season, cool season, put all that stuff in there, come behind your cereal grain harvest and just pound it with a 20-way cocktail mix and then next spring terminate with chemistry as you see fit. You know, that's not what I want to do, but we used to do it that way. So, you know, that's going to be part of of farming regenerative and you know that's a whole nother conversation we can have one day the definition of regenerative but it's got to continue to be the reduction of synthetic inputs it has to be you know year one reduce 25 percent year two reduce another 25 percent 
year three, another 25%, and by year four, you're off of it. I mean, that to me has got to kind of somehow be in the definition of, of being regenerative. Um, so anyway, um, and then Ron, Ron is replying back, you will like it. Okay, got it. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, again, I've never ever tried any of this. I've never tried anybody's products, but I'm going to tell you right now, I've had the luxury to meet John Kempf in person and I've, I've, I've spent two days with him, just he and I, the man is absolutely brilliant and you can learn so much from this guy. So please go out. He's got podcasts. He, he's on, he's on social media often. He's, he's got books. Um, soak up as much of John Kemp as you can, because you will enjoy him. He is down to earth and he's all about working with mother nature. And he's got this biological, um, company that, that, that sells biologicals. It's called AEA. Um, um, it, it just eluded me what it stands for advancing, advancing eco agriculture. I think is what it stands for. Um, but, Check, check John out. He's really, really good and really worth your time. Um, okay, Jeremy says, thanks for info. You got it. All right. I am going to sign off. Everyone have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for tuning in. And um, next week, uh, we have another guest presenter. It's going to be Lauren, Lauren Steinlogge. And I'm not sure who Lauren's guest is going to be, but we, when we find out from Lauren, we will announce it as soon as possible. But next week, I'm going to be in Texas uh, doing a, a teaching uh, for uh, Dr. Liz Haney uh, in Texas. And uh, it's going to be a, a, a good group of people, and it's a couple of days of teaching we're going to do down there. So I will not be available. So again, everyone, thank you. Um, I appreciate everyone tuning in. See you later. Bye-bye.